Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. Well, hey, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into this. Um, it's, it's been a good morning, and I'm just grateful, like I was saying earlier, that way we, as a family, get to end the year, the last Sunday of the year, uh, reminding ourselves of all that God has done, you know, and so I was, I was thinking about this, this idea of, you know, thinking back to things, and, um, you know, every year, what, what I do is, I learned this from a man named uh, John Maxwell, he's real big on leadership, and I heard this probably about three years ago, where he said every single year, he, he sits down either um, the last day, like today of the year, or, you know, a week before, a couple days before, he'll sit at his desk, and he looks at his calendar, he looks at all of the things that have happened in his life that year, the high, the low, the good, the bad, and it's important to do that because it creates this, this sense of, of one, gratitude, and another of reflection, and so, you know, I've, I've gotten a custom and a habit of, of really sitting and, and just thinking about everything that's happened in the year, um, the good, right? There's been good things that's happened, and even in your life, I'm sure there's been some beautiful things that have happened. Children have been born, right? Um, marriages have occurred, right? The coming together of, of, of family and reconciliation. There's so many things that are good that have happened. Maybe you got that job that you've been fighting for and praying for. Maybe you got that promotion. I mean, there's so many things to be grateful for and to be happy about, to be thankful for. But there's also the lows, Right, like the difficult times of, of fighting and arguing, or a lost one. Moments of deep brokenness and despair, you know, and divorce, you know, just massive uh, shockwave to family, to yourself. You know, maybe you lost a job. Maybe it didn't go the way you planned it. Maybe you were hoping that 2023 would be your year. You're like, that's just not been the case. I think it's important to sort of process, to think through. And what I want to talk to you today about is reflections, reflecting. What does it look like? What does it mean to reflect, to think back? <clears throat> you see, because I have to ask myself, well, what did God teach me? What, what did I learn about myself? What did I learn about God? And what did I learn about others? You see, if I am not growing, if I am not developing or learning then I'll have to have a talk with myself. <laughs> I, uh, I understand there's a bit of personality in this, but I'm just the type of guy where, like when I wake up in the morning, I'm constantly thinking about growing and developing and maturing. It's something that gives me uh, a passion for my life to know that I will never be in this space, in this time with my own uh, stuff that I gotta work on. If I am still here next year at this time, I need to have a talk with myself. And it's going to be brutal, and I'm going to be really honest, and I'm not going to hold back any punches, and I'll have to talk to myself in the mirror if I have to. Sam, what's up, man? What are you doing? You're still doing the same things. You're still thinking the same way. You're still processing. You're still in a despair mindset instead of a gross growth mindset. You're closed off. And I wonder about you, like what you, you, what you think about when you think back to this year? Are you developing and growing? Are you maturing? Are you looking to 
people in your life and saying, are, are they elevating me towards growth or are they bringing me down? Are they pulling me back into moments that I do not want to go to? Are they rebearing moments of the history for me or are they pushing me towards the future? You see, I, I'm convinced that the ecosystem of people in our life, they make or break us. And there's moments where we actually become so mature that we do not allow others to affect our future. But let's just be honest. I mean, if you're just hanging around with a bunch of depressed people, uh, just eventually you're going to be depressed. If you just hang around with a bunch of like naysayers, you're going to eventually start talking like that. If you start hanging around people that say, no, it's not possible. Ah, it's just going to be too hard. Man, like, don't, don't try that thing this year. It's not going to work. If you just hang around that, eventually you begin to think and process and talk that way. And so I reflect. I reflect on my own life. And what is God doing that I need to get a part of? Not what am I doing that God needs to get a part of. No, no, no. What is God doing that I must step into and participate with? And if I could say it like this, what is God doing that I must partner with him in? And so I think about the reflection of this. You know, scripture is filled with remembering. What God remembers, what we remember is crucial to our humanity. It's just a part of what we do. We have memory banks and neural pathways that take us to moments. You hear a song and you're right back in that moment. You drive back a particular geographical space, you're right back in that moment. The good, the bad, or the ugly, right? But what we need to be careful of is, is that affecting your now, your present? Is it resurfacing in such a way that is actually affecting the decisions, the conversations, and even the movement of the future. So this is what I want to talk about today. And Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians, and it's, it's sort of a, it's a good amount of scripture, so bear with me. We're in church. We can read scripture, right? Yeah. Philippians 3, starting at verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 14. And pay attention to the cadence of Paul and what he's trying to express to the, um, the church at Philippi. It's a particular community and a, a particular people. And Paul's trying to make a case of something. He says this. And if you have your Bible, it says, no confidence in the flesh. So this is his thesis statement as he moves forward and writes to this community. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. <laughs> Watch out for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. Now, quick side note on the understanding of context here. You got to remember that in the Roman Empire, in this time and space, a Jew was the chosen of God. And Jesus sort of flips that when he comes into the scene he dies, he's resurrected, and he says, wait for me, the Spirit of God will fall. Well, when the Spirit of God falls, the Spirit of God doesn't just fall on Jew, falls on Gentile. The Spirit of God doesn't just fall on male, falls on female. The Spirit of God doesn't just fall on brown, falls on black and white and yellow and all in between. And so all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is doing something new over the face of the earth. It's no longer just, you're Jew, you're good. No, all are welcome now. 
And it changes the entire framework of theology for these particular, they call them Judaizers. So what they would do is, Paul was speaking to someone that wasn't a Jew. Hey man, you can believe in God, he's got a power. And God will miraculously do something in the book of Acts, let's say to Cornelius with Peter. And he's filled with the spirit of God, he's speaking in tongues, he sees visions, but he's a Gentile. Wait a second, you're supposed to be Jew, that only happens to Jews. So Paul realizes that he's called to the Gentile, not just the Jew. But here's what happens. We get really religious. Oh, well, if you're a Gentile, not a Jew, Jews are circumcised, so you must become circumcised. And it's kind of weird, right? But this is the day and age that you were marked and known as someone different when you were circumcised. You were a part of the people of God. So Paul goes on this voyage planting churches and there's always that group of legalistic people that are like, well, you're not talking like this, walking like this, acting like this. And in fact, you're not circumcised. Let's get it done. Paul's like, wait a second. He literally says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Stop boasting about you. Boast about what God is doing in and through you. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, Paul's like, I got a lot of things to be confident about. If someone else thinks they may have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised by the eighth day of the people. I'm a people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In the regard of the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I'm faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ is my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. All the stuff that I've done, garbage. Because it was in my name. It was what I did. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a, right, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. Did you hear that? Righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. This is the Pauline literature and scriptures all throughout the, the, the book of Romans. You are justified. You are made righteous, not by anything you do, because good luck with what you do. No, you're made right in standing with God because of Christ. So when he looks at you and all of your faults and mess-ups, because we got a lot, let's be honest, he looks at you, the Father, and he sees Christ in you. And so now you hold righteousness because of Christ, not because of you. Does that make sense? Friend, it's nothing you could do. You can't win it. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, right? Oh, sorry, I went up. Yes, to know the power, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. And here it is. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, here it is, forgetting what is behind and straightening toward to what is ahead. 
I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. What Paul is trying to do, and he's trying to speak for all of us, is he's reminding us, you have to forget the former things. Because if you dwell too much on that, you will create monuments. And then, watch what happens with monuments. You build a shrine and a monument of this amazing thing that happened or this horrible thing that happened. And you go back to this space and then you become heretical and a heathen because you begin to worship the moment. You're worshiping it. You're worshiping the bad in it because you keep replaying it over and over and over again. And now it is a part of your current state and it's affecting your growth. Forget the former things, Paul says. Or what about the good things? What about the heydays? What about the moments that we were coin church crushing it? No, 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 no. If we look at that, we create a, a monument and we begin to worship those moments. And, and God's over like, well, when are you going to forget about that? That's in the past. Can't do anything about that. Move forward. Step forward. You see, Paul is showing us that we have a tendency to put our confidence in things we do. That's a daunting thought, but it's true. Just be honest with yourself, right? I'll never forget when I was in high school, I, uh, I don't know why I said this earlier, but my mom convinced me to like sign up for ASB, you know, because it could look good on my college application when I go to college. So, and then I found myself like applying to be senior class president, and I had no idea what that entitled, right? And when I was a senior, junior and senior, I began to understand influence and leadership. And I'll never forget, because I was senior class president, I had this crazy honor and opportunity to give a speech at the graduation. But I was terrified. You know when you're so scared that you don't have any more spit in your mouth? Does that ever happen to you? It's like terrifying. Like you're like, I need water or something. Like that doesn't even help. <laughs> I was terrified before I was even there, thinking about Imagining myself speaking to like this massive like Ontario Arena Convention Center, like what? And so I went to my professor, I called him my professor because he had his PhD, it was Dr. Brian, he was my English teacher. And I said, Dr. Brian, can you look at my, my speech? And he starts reading it and he stops and he says, Sam, you have too many I statements. I, 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 I. This is not about you. This is about us. This is about the class. This is about what is happening and what has happened. So stop being so focused on this I-centric mindset. And that moment marked me. Because from that moment on, even if it was my credit, I don't want to take credit for it. But when it is my credit and I did something wrong, I'll, hey, that was on me. And I began to realize that humility, that saying, it's not me, it's God, that's, yes, that's where we're at. But, but can I just side note there, I also got in trouble because I began to, to use false humility as my strength. This is what I mean by that. Oh, Sam, that was an amazing talk. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, you know, oh, it's all God, man. Thank you. Praise God. Yes, right? But God gifted me. Friend, God gifted you. That's false humility. It's actually still a form of pride. To not recognize what God has given you, yes, thank God, but don't harbor on it. The opposite would be horrible. Sam, good talk. Yeah, thanks, man, I know. <laughs> no, 
That's pride. But there's also a hidden pride called false humility. And it grabbed a hold of my life for way too long. Don't let that happen to you. So my point with all of that is we can't look at everything we've done and say it was just me, I. That's fleshly. Paul says get rid of that. Or the accomplishments we've made or the things that we've done or um, the endeavors we've taken and been successful. The problem with this mindset is when we put our confidence in our flesh or ourself, we get in the way of our own growth. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you keep looking at you and thinking you're the man or the woman and you got it all together, you will eventually hit a cap. You'll stop growing. And so I'm convinced that even in leadership, even in development, as a father, as a mother, as a son, as a brother, it doesn't matter where I'm at in life, as a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, it doesn't matter if I am not stepping forward and maturing and growing, I'm hitting a wall. And by the way, that's not on God. That's on you. And we blame God. No, no, no. We must get it. We're getting it wrong then because God actually says, I've given you freedom. You want transformation? I paid for it. You want freedom? It's yours. So what are you doing by not stepping and doing anything about it? So hear me loud and clear. Paul, we'll just learn, it's not about what we do that gains our faith or salvation. Does that make sense? You can't do anything, man, to get in, in, in heaven. You cannot do anything to experience the power of God. That is not anything you do. However, now that you're saved, it's time to get to work. It's time to move. It's time to stop playing it safe. It's time to stop being complacent. And if I could say this, it's time to stop dreaming, hoping, fantasizing, building a monument in the past because it's actually stopping your growth getting in the way. Paul says, forget the former things. Press on towards the future. You see, Paul overcame the temptation by a deliberate and continuous forgetting. So to forget in the biblical sense of this particular word is not simply to obliterate from the mind. I don't even think that's possible, right? Forgetting here is a dynamic meaning of a recalling from the past into the present, of an action which lies buried in history. So what I mean by that is there's two different types of forget or remember. Oh, I remember when that happened. And it's just a memory and it happened, but you learn from it. The other remembering is to dwell on it. Oh, man, I'm going to build a little campfire around this memory. Right? I'm going to sing kumbaya around this memory, good or bad. But what happens when you do that, view what scripture says, is you take that memory and you bring it into the present moment. And the ramification of that decision is it affects the decisions you make now. That's what Paul is after when he says forget. So stop doing that. We must be a people that say, what happened, happened. I'm going to allow it to just know, okay, this happened. There's nothing I could do about it. But I have responsibility to no longer allow that to be captive of my life. Because when you do that, what happens is it takes mastery over you. But you're supposed to be free. You're a slave to God, no one else. You're a slave to his freedom. Think about that for a second. Yeah. 
You're a slave to his transformation. You're not a slave of the past. God freed you from that. So if you are, that is on you. Does that make sense? It's a little hard, but it's the truth. So we must forget the past. So Paul intends to forget his past in this sense. He will not regard it as having any bearing or influence upon his present spiritual outlook, conduct, or action. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of the prize of the glory of the goodness of God of the future. I haven't quite taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So my friend, what do you need to let go in your memory bank? that's affecting your present state right now, good or bad? What is it that in the neural pathway of your prefrontal cortex, of the memory bank, what do you need to get rid of? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to say, God, I will no longer allow this to have mastery over my life? And this is what I've discovered. If you did something wrong, and you know it was wrong, and then you become a believer, you're like, dang, that was really wrong. It's sort of easy to say, hey, friend, will you forgive me? Come on, man, like, kind of hoping they say yes. Well, it's not up to them how they respond. It's up to you what you do. So you forgive, right? What happens, though, when the trauma came to you? What happens when they hurt you? There was an injustice against you. Well, you still have to forgive. The responsibility of forgiveness is still on you. If you choose to stay there, it will affect every decision you do now, every relationship you have now, everything that you dream of of the future because you have built a monument and it has mastery over you. Use your freedom wisely, Paul says in the book of Galatians. So forgetting what is behind is a glance at the apostle's life. Paul's inviting us into his story, whether in regard to his Jewish birthright or his entitlement or in reference to his past experiences as a disciple of Jesus, the successes and the failures, the triumphs and the miseries which came to him as an apostle, the like most elite in the modern time, an apostle of Christ. And I, I get it personally. There have been wild experiences that were so amazing you can't forget. Don't you have some of those? They were just wild, like, man, I replay those memories, and they're filled with joy, and it pulls me back a little bit. <clears throat> but the danger is that I stay there. I stay there, and I, I don't want to get stuck there. So I get a little uncomfortable, if I can be honest, because I know you mean well, or we mean well, or even I mean well. Kelly means well. I know we mean well when it's like, oh, do you remember when? And I don't like that language because it's affecting my growth, because it's going to get in the way, because then I'll go back with you. Yeah, whoa, that was so cool. Well, remember when we had one gathering, and it was filled in the room, but the 9 a.m. like needs to grow a little bit, remember? No, 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 I forget those things. We're moving forward. Well, remember when we were doing some really cool stuff in this space or that space? Yeah, 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 I get that, but I will not allow that to affect what I do now. And you can put that blank in any area of your life. And if you are noticing that you're going back too much, Paul says, God says, forget the former things. Stop dwelling on that. It's hindering your maturity, your growth, your development. It's like going back to an ex, not for the married people, for the singles or the daters. 
It's like going back to your ex. <laughs> like, I'm convinced that when you do that, it's because you miss the memories, the butterflies, <laughs> and you forget why you left them in the first place or why they left you. But what happens is we go back because we miss the memories. Friend, you need new memories. You need new experiences. You need to take the opportunity that God has given you in this life, here and now, and step into whatever God is calling you into. You need to dream again. You need to walk with faith again. You need to take initiative of your own life. You got the freedom. Now it's on you to walk in his goodness, to walk in his spirit. In fact, do you know you have the spirit of the living God within you? Reminding you, don't go back, don't go forgive, don't be bitter, don't do these, don't, don't sleep with that person, don't do that, don't go to this party, don't go, don't, don't. and it's just like, ah, anyway, what's, what's going on here? There's a party here. It's like, okay, well then if you're not concerned with your growth, then you're not concerned with your future, and you'll be stuck there when God is here saying, come, man, come out in deeper waters. Fishermen, come out. I'm not calling you to be fishermen anymore. I'm calling you to be fishers of men. Give up your old occupation. Do you know they went back when Jesus died? And he resurrected and he was appearing here and there for about 90 days. The scripture says all of the disciples that he pulled out, they were almost all fishermen, went back to their old job. And he finds them on the lake. It's like, what are you doing here? Did I not teach you anything? Oh, you went back. I'm calling you forward. So for me, you know, um, there's moments where I, I believe that life is like waiting at a, a train station, you know, a, a stoplight and the train's going by. I truly believe that there are windows and moments of opportunities that God has freely gifted us because he's a God of choice. And it's on you if you don't jump on it. Oh, but there's fear. Why is there fear? Because something that happened in the past is affecting your now. You must take courage. The only way to take courage is to take courage. Imagine if I was like afraid to go do that talk because I was afraid. I remember I didn't have spit. Imagine if I just didn't do it. Imagine if I just didn't do it. I would have missed out on a moment in time that I can go back and say, that was amazing, that was awesome. Wow, God, I could imagine what you have in store for my life. Imagine you didn't give the girl your number because you were afraid, and you had the, but you did it, and now you're married, and you have children, and you created a beautiful future because you stepped out of your fear and into courage, but the fear was still there. Fear is a real human thing, by the way. Courage is greater. God calls us to courage. Why would he tell Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Well, because he was afraid. So I wonder what things in your life you're afraid of because it's connected to your past, so much so that it's affecting your now. Step into the future. Walk in courage. Don't let people dictate what you do or say. Don't be a pleaser of man. Be a pleaser of God. 
forget the former things. I love this passage of scripture. It's a tough one. Jesus was tough and tender. So here's a tough one, all right? So be prepared for the toughness. There was moments where Jesus wasn't enamored by the crowds because he knew there were people that were just there for the crowd. And there was a moment in scripture, there's a couple, where Jesus sort of turns back and he talks about the cost of discipleship. And he says this, as they were walking along the road in the book of Luke, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. I'll do whatever it takes, but first let me go back and say bye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. This, by the way, is called hyperbole. It's like a parable. Jesus is trying to make an over-exaggerated point to prove a point. Are you willing to leave everything behind for me? If you're not, you're not fit for the kingdom. Are you willing to let go of the former things and walk with me and move with me towards the future? If you're not, you're not fit for the kingdom because you'll be so stuck in the past. But again, I want to make this clear. Jesus was about family. <laughs> he was about parenting and fatherhood and motherhood. What he's trying to say here, though, is if you, in this context, you would garden you know, a space that was how they got their crops, their food. That was how they made their livelihood, even like um, how they made money. And so when they would plow the ground, there would sometimes be a plow connected to an ox. And so you still had to help the ox. But when you're plowing the ground to create a divot in the ground to drop the seed, Jesus is saying, if you're doing this, let go of one hand, look back, you're not fit. Because it's going to affect your future. So how many of us, I wonder, in the room are like, all right, God, let's do it, right? That happens all the time. Jesus says, let go of the past. Don't allow that to affect your now anymore. Stand firm in courage and let go of the fear. You see, for me, I want to be fit for the kingdom. How about you? I want to be fit for service with God. I must understand what God calls me to then as a man of service, as a servant of all. So via Jesus, I can't be a man who thinks about the past or dwells on the past. The past what? Past mistakes, right? The past traumas, the past burdens, the things that overpower you that you allow. I love how Paul doesn't put this on God, by the way. It's not God's job to make you forget the past and step forward. That's you. He created a space for your freedom, but he promises he'll be with you. And like, can I just, can we just go there for just a second? The reason why I'm convinced of this is I've been in church long enough where there's someone that's known Jesus, walked with Jesus longer than me, 10, 15 years go by and they're still in the same place. And there's not enough like over spiritual language to use as an excuse of why someone's still back there. And so I'm convinced God is for you. 
God wants your freedom and development more than you. I'm certain there's moments where he's pulling you. Let go of the pain. Let go of the past. Stop dwelling on those things. But we're so stuck in the past, we've built a monument, and it's on you now to walk in your freedom. Does that make sense? Because what happens, we'll just be Christians for 20 years, followers of, of Jesus, not having any development or maturity because we're so saying it was all supposed to be God that did that for me. Wait a second. That's not what I read in the scriptures. That's not what Paul's saying. I let go of the former things to grab hold of the future, but I know that I have the spirit of God in me to move towards the future. And I just think it's the great dilemma of the American church. To come, worship, sing, serve, give, do all of the right, quote, things, but not have transformation in here. And I'm convinced that there's moments of bitterness, of trauma, of brokenness that you are not allowing yourself to partner with God and let go of. I'm not going to live that way anymore, man. I'm not going to act that way. So God, yes, give me the strength. Give me the courage to move forward. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying that we should not remember anything of the past. That wouldn't align to biblical principle of the scripture. But reflecting upon one's past isn't discouraged, but rather seen as an essential part of personal growth and spiritual development. So what I mean by that is when you reflect on the past, as long as it's a reflection so that you can see what God has done or what you made a mistake of and you need to move forward of, then it's actually what you should be doing. But often we do the opposite. You reflect and you dwell and you get pulled in and then it's like, yeah, that happened. Can't move forward. So the wisdom literature in Proverbs says, in Proverbs 24, 16, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Did you know that a righteous man falls? The difference is some will get up and keep moving forward. Others will stay down beaten. God, help me, help me. I've already helped you. Come on, let's go. No, God, I just want to stay a little longer. No. It it is on us to say, God, you're calling me to somewhere great. I will not make excuses for my life anymore. And the reason why I get this from the scripture, if you look at Paul, he gives a couple of reasons why the people of God in Israel, the first generation, couldn't make it in the promised land. Do you not want your promised land? Whatever that is for you, biblically, the promised land is eternity with God. It's heaven here on earth. That's the promise but there's many promises within that promise. But the scripture says that there were men that were complainers and murmurers. And that was one of the reasons that, didn't, that God said, no, nah, you're not coming in the promised land. Did you catch that part in scripture? <laughs> when I read that, I said, whoa, uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. So this verse doesn't just encourage resilience. It points out the failures that aren't final, but are stepping stones towards growth, towards wisdom, towards maturity with God. So we shouldn't dwell on the past, but we should allow what happened to be a learning moment for maturity. Accept the forgiveness and move on. Let go of the pain and move on. This is our responsibility. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, scripture says, we can literally just end here. It says this, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. 
I mean, think about it for a second. Yeah, that's pretty good, Solomon. I shouldn't even be asking that question because if I'm asking it, it's taking hold of my thoughts and my mind, and I shouldn't be a captive or a slave to those things. You see, when we remember and think about the past, it should be for reflection, seeing the goodness and faithfulness of God. If we don't have these memories, we will be a people, so it's important to reflect. If we don't have the memories, we'll be a people who forget. We should never forget the things that God has done, the faithfulness, the moments he got us out, the moments he snatched us from our own destruction. We should never forget those things, but we should never dwell in such a way that we stay there. So all God has done is he's pulled us out over and over and over. He's pulling us out, and he's calling us to a future. He's saying, reflect. Remember, scripture says over and over and over, remember the things God has done. Remember how he's brought you out of Egypt. Remember how he's brought you out of your brokenness. Do you know that even in the story of Israel, when they're in the wilderness, they were so caught up by the old, the past, they were complaining to Moses saying, well, we don't have like certain foods here. We would rather be a slave in Egypt. And sometimes we say that to God. Because it gets hard. It gets difficult. Well, that's what maturity and growth is all about, isn't it? Who said it'd be easy? The, the easy part is already done. You've done nothing to gain righteousness towards Christ. You've done nothing to get an eternity. You've done nothing to walk in his goodness. You now get to participate with the creator of the universe and move forward. Is this making sense? So Paul says in verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Worship, you guys can come on up. So all of us have a promise of heaven. And you will have moments and glimmers of heaven here and now and 100% heaven yet to come. Here's the danger, though. Sometimes it's like, Sam, like, make up your mind, right? I don't want to dwell in the past. No way. Good luck with that. But... I'm also a person of the future, but I've learned some things along the small little journey I've had so far. When Kelly and I first met, right, even in high school, I was like a planner of the future. I could plan and predict the future. I would think about it and process it. Okay, Kel, at this age, when we get married, we're going to do this. And then you're going to get your job in like, okay, it's nursing. No, it's not nursing. It's teaching. Okay, you're going to get your job in teaching, and then we're going to do this. And then by this year, this year, year 25, when I'm 25, we'll have a house. And then, you know, we'll have a chill, and then we'll, and I would plan it out methodically, and then it wouldn't happen the way I thought. <laughs> and I realized something. No, no, no. God calls us to think and ponder the future, but not to hold it so tight that he can't do anything with it. In fact, he's in the future. He knows what will take place. We have the choice to walk into it, but it's a caution if you think you get to play out every little thing that happens. That's not trust in God. That's not belief. So what I've done, and this is what terrifies me, is I've noticed in the church, maybe not so much, but maybe when I was growing up, it was all about heaven. Oh, heaven. Whoa, when we get to heaven. Yes. Yes. But what about now? And maybe it's just my own conviction, but I feel like, I'm sometimes like, like Abraham when he was about to, God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, no, 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 could you just find a, no, no, could you give us just a little bit more time, God? 
because I really believe that there is still work for us to do here. That he's called us to bring heaven here. Heaven will come. That's the glory. That's the prize. But what about now? What things must you step into? What traumas must you let go of so you can live the life God has called you to live now? What experiences must you step into? What memories must you create? Stop playing it safe. I, Kelly and I have this conversation a lot, and this is our conviction, but I don't want like a cookie cutter life. Perfect. Set up. And this time, and this time, we're going to do this and that. No, no, that sounds boring to me. There's no risk in that. There's no danger in that. I just believe we become dangerous when we're at the center of God's will. It's not about me. It's not about you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Nowhere in there is your will or your kingdom. So what do you call me to do, God? I'll do it. I'll be the servant of all. Where do you need me to serve? I'll do it. You need me to get on my knees and help those that can't help themselves? I will do it. What do you need me to do? Whatever it is, God, I will do it. Because I'm convinced that when I step into his future, he does something great. But when I step into mine, good luck with that. Because it's all about I. It's all about flesh. It's all about self. And that will get you to the end of your life. And I don't know, man. That's on you. So you must have a goal, right? Goals are important, yes. But the overshadowing prize for every one of us is this. What did you do with what God gave you? Have you ever asked yourself that? Oh, it's kind of scary to me, to be honest. I'm like, whoo. All right, there's a lot of things that God has gifted me and gave me that I now am responsible as his servant steward to do with this. And this is my theory. No, no Bible here. This is just Sammy's, okay? So you can disregard this if you want. But imagine you get to heaven and you stand before God. He says, Sam, let me show you the life you could have had if you just had more faith, if you just stepped out in courage, if you stopped playing it safe. Imagine the impact you would have had. You see this guy right here? Because you served, he chose, not because of you, but because of me and you, to not end his life. You see this person who was down and broken and didn't have a sense of freedom? Because you served him well, he now has hope. And look at the transformation that he's had in his life because of your yes. And I just know that I only have here and now that God has given me the opportunity to choose and to live and to thrive and to be and to be depressed or be happy and to be joyful or to be down and to be in despair or to walk in hope. I have that choice. What about you? So if you want to live the opposite, you're choosing to live that way. God's like, no, there's freedom with me. You want this freedom? I already bought it, man. I already died for that. That brokenness you have, that disease you have, that mess up in your soul, I killed that when I died on the cross. So stop living in the past and take hold of the cross of the future, the resurrection power of God. I can't play it safe, church. I can't. I'm sorry. can't do it. I can't live my whole life and look back and say, man, I just lived in the heydays. No, 
whatever you want to do, God, do in me. It's not about me. It's not about my preference. It's about whatever you want to do in my life. So here's the thing, and I end with this. It nudges believers towards focusing when we reflect. It nudges believers on focusing more on the current journey with God rather than getting stuck in the past. Look at your current journey and say, God, all right, I'm ready. Whatever comes, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. We must then, with great courage, fight for a better future. Church, do you believe that? Honestly, please be honest with yourself. Do you believe that God has called you to create futures? This is your own theology. You've got to work out. Because the last time I checked in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created Adam. He created man. He created Eve. He created woman. And he said, go and be fruitful and multiply. Oh, and by the way, here's your job. Multiply. Thrive. Do everything that I've called you to do in the Garden of Eden. In the garden, if you actually study the Genesis account, there was minerals and there was rivers there and there was certain type of copper there. Everything that we needed to grow and develop, God placed so that we could be creative and create a better future. That's your theology if you think, oh, no, he just dictates everything. That's a scary God. Of course he's that, but he's giving you freedom. You know how I know that to all my Calvinistic friends, if you know what that means? Why would God put that tree there? Think about it, man. Come on, it's not hard. Love never forces. Never. Love doesn't say, you must get over here and worship me. That's not love. Even in a marriage, good luck with that if you choose that route. No, love is invitational. Come. You want to live this life? You want to go on a journey with me? Let's do it together. So God gives us a choice, friend. He gives you a choice. And the choice is yours. Do you want to serve God or do you want to serve this world? And I'm convinced that those two paths will go its own direction. In the end, what good is it a man for, or a woman to gain the whole world and lose their soul? I'd rather the opposite to be true. Imagine what one man could do if he saved one other man. Imagine that. What good is it, think about this, for a man to save the whole world but then lose his soul? Well, then let's inverse that. Imagine what a man could do. God came then to save even just one man. Even just one. So that's my challenge to you. When you reflect, reflect. Please do. It's important. Think about it. But move forward now into a better future. Amen? Will you stand with me and pray? Jesus, thank you so much, God, for this church, for this community. Thank you, God, for the ability to choose, to walk in your freedom, to stand, God, in knowing you still are sovereign. You could do whatever you want in my life. But you have given me the ability to say yes or no to you. You've given me the ability to use my voice, to use my body, to use my finances. You have given me that choice. I will not use my freedom for my own sake. I will use my freedom for the sake of others. I love you, God, with every fiber of my being. Do whatever you want to do in my life in this new year. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.